Hello, brothers and sisters. <clears throat> you know, uh, it, it was tough in the days when I got saved. 1964. It's always tough. Everybody, went, as uh, Lucio said, no matter what age you are, it was tough. You know, <clears throat> so I became a Christian. I think they only had three songs. Besides him, they had, It only takes a spark. That was one. The other one was, God's not dead, he is alive. God's not dead, he is alive. And I forget the third song. Now, when you look at your uh, book, full of these choruses and everything, none of those were alive. We didn't have any songs. That's what made the, a stupnagel like me start taking songs, baptizing songs. Like, we're going to sing one song here. It's a baptized song. I was a Baptist. So I took these songs from the world and baptized them into Jesus so that I could sing a song. Because all we had was, God not dead, he is alive. <laughs> we didn't have, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh my soul. See that? We didn't have, that's a great song. You know what I mean? So, I'm sorry, so, you see, so, but I'm so old, because, you know, I was saved in 1964. So that's why when we sing some songs, they're like so old. You're saying, what kind of a song is that? Well, it may be a song made of garbaggio, but that's all that I can do. So, let's try to do it. Can we do it? All right, so this someone, now this is kind of a spooky song where you have to go, ooh. Molto misterioso. You gotta kind of do a thing here, alright? So, just try that ooh thing, because you'll see it'll come up. So I want, I want you to practice it. It'll probably be your best part of the song. Ooh.
Ceiling's the most exciting thing going on tonight. We're in trouble. <laughs> For the Brazilian girls, I know something about you, something you can't hide. You've never looked so good before. It's the real you. Why don't you let it through? Why don't you come along and sing the song of the soul set free? Sing the song of the soul set free. A new creation being formed in you. Sing the song of the soul set free. Sing the song of the soul set free. Sing the song of the soul set free. Jesus is coming, and he's coming soon. Sing the song of the soul set free. The song of the soul set free. I remember seeing you before. See, these are all girl from Ipanema chords. You look so different now. Streams of joy flow from your face. I can see the glow. Why don't you let it show? Why don't you come along and sing the song of the soul set free? Sing the song of the soul set free. There's a new creation and it's coming through you. Sing the song of the soul set free. Sing the song of the soul set free, so happy. Sing the song of the soul set free. For Jesus is coming, and he's coming soon. <laughs> Sing the song of the soul set free. got no more voice, that's all. So, well, what a wonderful day. Uh, I, I heard uh, 
Lucio's message this morning is very precious. I hope the time you had during the day was precious. Everything, the activities, the eating. You had pork chops tonight? And sushi? Did I get that right? Yeah, I know about the beans. I can uh, catch a whiff of them from here. (laughs) But I'm glad you had a good time today. And thinking about this matter of being strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let's turn again to our theme, to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to just read the first eight verses and talk about these four things. That uh, I think you had four teams today, right? Who are the four teams in competition? Eight teams. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. But you had these four, right? Included. Okay. Uh, in Second uh, Timothy, chapter 2. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Chapter 2. Verse 1. Paul says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things which you have heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life, so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive the share of the crops. Now consider what I say. The Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprison him and as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. It's a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Father, we come to you tonight in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the purveyor of grace. The one who has shown us in revelation in his life what grace is all about. And as much as it's a mystery, Lord, all we can say is what we have tasted and seen is that the Lord is good. And we want to know more of him and live in the fullness of his grace. So even toward tonight in this simple meeting, we pray as we study the word together, you would lay hold of us in this matter of finding strength in grace, being faithful to you through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we pray in his precious name. Amen. We have been talking about grace and we've seen this wonderful gospel of grace that Paul proclaimed even during his imprisonment. You know the grace that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. For though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. That you through his poverty might become rich. We've, made, we've been made rich in the grace of God. It's ours. It's, it's a saving grace. We've, it's a freeing grace. It's a forgiving grace. It's an accepting grace. It's an enabling grace. By grace, we can say with Paul, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And we discover who we really are through the grace of Christ Jesus. Our brother Lucio emphasized so wonderfully how the source of our grace is in Jesus Christ. In him alone, we know grace. Now, the grace of God is over us even tonight. His grace is ever coming upon us and wooing us. And trying to fill us with more of the Lord Jesus. The grace is upon us. Very very much upon us. Even during the wonderful prayers of the saints tonight and everything. It's right here. But in another sense. Living in the wonder of that grace. Is something that is so precious to us. That we need to take seriously how to remain in the grace of God. And not fall away from the grace of God. Now I said last night. The grace doesn't have battery life. Either you're in the grace or you're out of the grace. Well. Actually, the grace of God is your permanent state in Jesus Christ. But I'm just talking about the experience of it. How you can live in that fullness and wonder of grace. He gives it to us. We receive it. But there comes a time in our lives where to to strengthen that grace, we need to complete the loop. 
and offer something back and render back to God for all that he's done for us. Thanksgiving and praise, that's how it begins. We receive love and we give love back to him. We love because he first loved us. It's all part of that wonderful loop of grace. And it's so important that we be involved in this kind of give and take. Having freely received, we freely give. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight, you see. But we can interrupt that flow of grace. And there's two things that the Bible talks about that's the enemy of grace. The first thing is flesh. And the problem with the Galatians is that they were trying to be perfected and pleasing to to God through the flesh. By being circumcised. By keeping laws. And Paul says, you know what, if you're relying on your flesh, you're actually proud. You think you can do it. It's when you realize that your flesh has been crucified and you stop trying and receive the grace of God that God is able to do it in your life. So flesh becomes antagonistic to grace. God resists the proud. gives grace to the humble. If you think you're such a good Christian, you can do it yourself. Well, you'll find that doing it yourself, you won't do a good job. You'll fail So here's the deal. Don't let your flesh interrupt that life in the Spirit where we move from grace to grace and ever greater understanding and fullness of it. The second thing, of course, is sin. Our brother wonderfully pointed out that the problem with grace is as soon as our conscience is defiled and our conscience goes wrong, uh, that grace stops flowing. Now, there's many people who fall... Uh, let's look at 1 Timothy 1.18 here, because in 1 Timothy, Paul makes a command to Timothy about fighting the good fight of faith. And we, we find out uh, exactly what that means in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. This command I entrust to you. So now, here's a command of Paul to Timothy. Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may fight the good fight. Now look at this and its combination. Keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I delivered over to Satan so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. Now, here's a rule that you can see all the time in the body of Christ. If somebody lives in sin, They can deceive themselves into thinking they're good Christians. But once their conscience is uh, defiled, and they've lost the fight, and they haven't kept a good conscience, then they resort to false doctrine. Why do they resort to false doctrine? Because people resort and make up doctrines that rationalize why they should be able to do what they're doing. Now, the most common thing that this happens among ministers like Hymenius and Alexander is that they get involved in sexual sins. But they come up with a rationalization that sexual promiscuity and sexual sin is okay because, after all, I'm saved by grace. Right now, going across this world, it started, I believe, actually in New Zealand, but it could have been Australia, but it's heavy in Australia now, and also in New Zealand, now come to the United States, something that's called hypergrace. And this teaching regarding grace is that we're all saved by grace. There's nothing we can do about it. And you should even go ahead and sin if you've got to sin just to get over it. Because God doesn't care. He loves you anyway. Well, God does love you anyway. He does. But you see, what they say is don't take sin seriously. Just do whatever you want. It's okay. That's hyper grace. God's grace is so strong that he doesn't care about the sin you do in your life. Even confessing your sin isn't really so necessary. Just saying you love God is good enough. Now you see, that's a doctrine that's twisted. That's not the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Held in good faith and a good conscience. But once people go wrong sexually, it's amazing when you hear doctrines, you, you hear some revival and some great preacher, and then you listen to this doctrine, and something's going astray with this guy's doctrine. Suddenly he's believing maybe there's not a hell, and suddenly there's this and that. I'm telling you what, nine times out of ten, sexual sin lies behind the problem. Now, it's not always sexual sin. There's other things. There's so much self-love and other things. I don't want to make that the only thing. But all I'm saying is, sin interrupts the flow of grace until it's confessed and turned away from. You're not going to live free under grace no matter how you try to rationalize it. So, if you're living with a girl and you're not married, 
and you think it's okay, I'm sorry, the Bible says you're wrong, your conscience says it's wrong, and it'll, it's defiling you. And you're not living in the grace and the life of Jesus Christ. So you understand we have this wonderful re- reception and fullness of grace that's ours. But it means we always have to deal with sin, confess sin, ask forgiveness, come back into that position of receiving His love and living in His light, following in His way. Strengthen yourself in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now tonight, we want to look at these four illustrations, pictures, parables, that uh, uh, Paul gives to try to help Timothy to understand, given the context that Timothy's in, of what it means to strengthen himself in the grace. So the first thing he says here, if we go back to 2 Timothy chapter 2, first thing he says is, verse 2, Now, here's Timothy, as our brother Lucio mentioned, is more devastated by the state of things, by the persecutions of Rome, by Paul's imprisonment and soon martyrdom, by the state of the church and its decline. He's going through all these kinds of things. And so Paul says to him, Okay, Timothy, now I'm going to go home to be with the Lord very soon. My time of departure is at hand. As for you, Timothy... I know things are tough, but I want you to believe that the grace of God is in you to do this next thing. The things you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, as I've always looked at this and seen this, it seems to me that this first picture that Paul is giving to Timothy is that you are part of a vital marathon race team. I was the first runner I taught things. I did things. You saw me. You watched me. Now I'm handing the baton over to you, Timothy. And I want you to take that baton and I want you to find some trustworthy men and I want you to teach them and hand that baton off to them. And they will hand it off to others. Do You see, there's four generations right in that one verse. The things you've heard from me, so there's Paul, entrust to faithful men, Timothy's the one now passing it on, who will be able to teach others also. Now, the marathon is very important. You've got to get in step with people. You can't just run your own race with the baton. You've got to actually, in that kind of a handoff zone, you've got to be running at the same pace in such a way that you can pass that baton. And Paul's basically saying, okay, now, Timothy, I, I passed it on to you. All those notes you took while we were in Corinth together, those notes we took as we went from church to church and I was speaking and teaching, all those things that you received for free, you got the tapes, got Christian tape ministry, you got the notes, got books, wonderful. Underline them, all that stuff, wonderful, wonderful. Now it's time to pass it along. What are you saying, basically? This first picture is a picture of our absolutely vital relationship in the body of Christ. My brother, as a member of the body of Christ, you are vitally linked to a brother on one side of you. Sisters, you are vitally linked to other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. I don't think Timothy really realized how important his position was. He was, I think he kind of began as the guy who carried Paul's suitcase. But sooner or later, you know, uh, uh, Paul would be preaching in the square somewhere in the city and his voice would get harsh, you know, and he'd say, Okay, Timothy, take over. Timothy, what, 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 what? But he'd stand up, preach the gospel, and so he began to learn with Paul there. All this time, he'd listen to Paul teaching and preaching. Now listen, who's going to share the heavenly vision that Paul received of Christ, the head and the church, his body? That was Paul's revelation, which Paul passed on to others. But now he says, I'm dying. Somebody needs to pass that truth on. How about this? The Gentiles have an inheritance in the body of Christ, just like the Jews. Who's going to pass that revelation on? Who's seen it? Who'll pass it on? The mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery of I've been crucified with Christ, but yet I live. The mystery of of the death of the old man and the, the new man who's now alive. These many wonderful, wonderful things that Paul has taught during his days. They're part of Timothy's makeup. Now Paul said, okay, now, you need to take grace and share with others the things you've learned from me. Now this is very important, and I want to speak a word to you who are older here now. Those of you in college, out of college. Now you need to be sharing with the generation under you. 
the things that you've learned and received of the Word of God. You need to be somebody passing on as a joint to supply the things that you freely received. Now you need to freely give. Now that's easy to say, but it's a great responsibility. In the end, the Great Commission that we all know in Matthew 28 is really this. Go into all the world and make disciples. Now how about those junior high kids and those high school kids where you meet? If you see somebody there, it looks like they've got a heart for the Lord. You ever, want to, you ever say, hey, let's get together and pray once a week, once every other week. We'll study some of the Word and you share some of the things that you've received through some of the books you've read and messages you've heard and things that have been made real to you. Now you share them, pass them on to the younger generation. See, in a very living way, the body is vitally linked. And if you are not functioning as a body of supply, then you're hurting people on either side. You're supposed to be receiving from somebody, but you're not. Because you're out. You're not assembling, you're not meeting, you're, you're too busy, you're, or if you're there, you're not listening. So here's somebody who wants to share life with you, but you're not receiving it. And then on the other side, here's somebody who's supposed to be receiving life from you, and you're not passing it on to them. You and I are in a marathon, if you want to put it this way. And we have some precious things we've received from God. And I know maybe you read them from Watchman Nee or Austin Sparks or somebody else. Or maybe you heard a message, you wrote down the notes, and it's sort of been made yours. But if it's been made yours, it's yours. So here's what Paul says. Timothy, it's time for you to be one who gives out what you have so freely received. You know, there's been a couple of times in my life where I went over to a foreign country and I took some people with me who aren't used to preaching and speaking and all that. One time I went to Nepal to the leprosy uh, hospital. Then I took two guys with me who had never sort of preached much at all. And they were there and I was there for two weeks and of course they always have a lot of things to do so before long they were having to teach and having to preach the gospel. It was a brand new experience for these guys. One time I went to Russia, and I went to Russia, and I was going in with a missionary, and then there were three guys who were, uh, you know, businessmen in a, a church who were coming to bring some money and some help. And we got to the border, and they kicked out the missionary. They said he couldn't come in because his visa wasn't right. So now I had to go in there, and these three guys came in. Well, I got in there, and they had enough preaching for us to do, preaching the gospel and everything, because they expected that other guy. Anyway, these three guys had to start preaching the gospel. Every day, they come to the church, they get sent out 50 miles through the snowbanks and go to some town, preach the gospel, come back. Now, some of them had never preached the gospel in their life. I'll tell you what happened. After two weeks, all three of them were evangelists. Because they found out they had more in them than they ever thought they did. They come back with testimonies. Well, I, I didn't think I had it in more, but, but I, I started speaking and, and boom. And then, and when I thought about that, then it led to something else. The next thing you know, I shared a series of four nights. Because what they saw is, they have much, much more by the grace of God than they realize they have until they start utilizing it. Now, two further things I'll say on that, then I'll let it go. Because I think you understand you're in the body of Christ. Now, are you in the body of Christ? Now, it's not a yes or no answer. Here's the, here's the answer. Are you receiving and are you giving? Are you vitally linked? Or are you just, uh, you know, warm in a seat? Uh, now, if it were easy to give what you'd freely receive, everybody would be doing it. <laughs> but obviously there's, there's a problem. <laughs> What's the problem? Uh, to, to strengthen yourself in the grace of God, You've got to be willing to deny yourself. And there's a cross in every one of these issues. What's the cross? The cross is you've got to get over your own self-preservation and be willing to share. Now, imagine Timothy was, let's put it like this, second in line. Here's Paul who was receiving all of the persecution because he was first in line. And then he hands the baton to you and says, here, Timothy, you take the baton. Now, Timothy is now in the, in the sights of the enemy. I don't know if I want to do that. It was happy times, fine. But in persecution, do I really want to be number one guy now? Just pass it along, Timothy. Just pass it along. You have to get over this. And listen, when you want to help people like that, 
it, it involves you getting past your selfishness, your laziness. Yeah, that, that extra hour you were going to spend on Facebook doodling around. The constant tweeting until your fingers can't move anymore. Isn't it some time that you can spend in the body of Christ, edifying the body of Christ with those things that you and I have received? So you see, there's a cross. Always a cross. Otherwise, uh, it'd be easy. Hey, I've received stuff. Here it is. <laughs> now, but there's a cost you have to pay as your channel. But now let me give you the good news, okay? That's the bad news, the cost. Now let me give you the good news. Why are we talking about this loop? Just receiving the grace and, and sending the grace back. Receiving the grace and sending it on to others. What happens in this loop? It's not just that you receive the grace of God and it flows through your life. It's this. That's how you get to know Jesus better. It's not grace that you're getting filled with. You're getting to know Jesus. Because every time you give, he helps you give and you sense how he gives. I mean, he gives so much more tenderly to you. So when you first start saying, okay, uh, you, you young, rambunctious, junior high kids, I'm going to disciple you. Now, first of all, get your Bible out. <laughs> Turn to Zephaniah. Quick, 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 quick. I say, who, who, who? I told you. But you're going to learn that Jesus is much more gentle and patient with junior high kids than you are. And so in the process of receiving and giving, you, you learn Jesus is what you learn. Now, how many of you want to know Jesus better? Okay. Well, you can't find Jesus better by going into the Himalayan mountains and talking to Guru Jesus. Oh, oh, oh. We're not going to learn Jesus. You're going to learn Jesus in that flow of grace. What's received is passed on. And in that process, you get to know Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? So be a joint to supply. You've got the baton. If you're 19 years old, you're 21, you're 23, whatever you are, you're in college, out of college, you know what? You're already supposed to be passing some things on. It'll make you a stronger person in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you just have to not be selfish. You, you all know the story about the Dead Sea. And why, why the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee is here, right? Full of all kinds of fish. Did you, how many of you are watching the Bible? Did you see the part where uh, Jesus went out in the boat with Peter and Peter pulled in all those fish? Uh, it was a really good part of the story. Uh, anyway, uh, and so in the Sea of Galilee, there's lots and lots and lots of fish. And you go down the Jordan River like this, and boom, into the Dead Sea. There's not even a gefilte fish. There's no fish. There's no plant life. There's nothing. It's salt. It's dead. It's Dead Sea. And why is it dead? It has an inlet, no outlet. Everything comes in, everything dies, nothing goes out. That's you. Now, I don't want you to die. Just, so while you still have constipation, let her out. You've received. Freely you've received, now freely give. Oh, it's such a relief. You've got to know Jesus. Then of course you have to go through the cross. Come on. The second thing, second picture. I mean, already these have been touched on by everybody, but uh, so that's, that's the story. Now, here we go. Second one is to be a good soldier. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who's enlisted him as a soldier. Now, this again is another corporate aspect of Timothy's life. Now, listen, I guarantee you, Timothy had no idea what a vital link he was in the body of Christ. He was actually very important. After Paul died, to the progress of the church in Ephesus, Timothy was very important. And he was faithful to the death, and he was martyred. Thank God for Timothy. But he had no idea until he had to step up. And then he saw, and he saw Jesus in him in a fuller and deeper way than he'd ever known before. Now Paul says this as a second parable of vision. Here's what it means to be strong in the grace. Suffer hardship like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Be a good soldier of the Lord. Now, you're in an army. It's a corporate thing. And here Paul is touching on the kingdom matters. In this matter of the relay race or passing on those things, that's the body life. Now he's talking about the kingdom life. Now, in the kingdom life, there's a lot of battling you've got to do. And especially in two particular ways. One, 
is that we in the kingdom of God have got to be faithful to preach the gospel, to share the gospel. And it involves suffering. It's a cross when you preach the gospel. And the second great battleground in the kingdom life among saints is learning how to pray and bind and loose the enemy and release the Lord as he's working in a, in a church, in a community. The kingdom of God is, is, is a reality. It's an entity in our lives. Do you know that? By the grace of God, you should know sometimes as you touch the kingdom, this is, we're talking about serving a king with authority and power. As Jesus said, I will build my church. This is the king talking. And I've given you the keys of the kingdom to build the church. Now, I don't, I don't have time to go into all of these things. But listen, we have to learn how to wrestle in prayer for the sake of the kingdom of God. Back, I don't know, a month or so ago, uh, we were praying one night in uh, Manhattan, and there was a sister who let loose a prayer. It was a real blessing to me, because she prayed a kingdom prayer. And here's basically what she said. Lord, the enemy, in his attack on the church and the kingdom, has stolen away too many men. Lord, we pray in your kingdom. We know you want men to stand up and count for you. Men of moral character and nobility. We want men in the kingdom and we pray, Jesus, bring men into the kingdom. That's a great prayer. You realize that, of course, right? In most churches, it's like 80% women. These things shouldn't be. But the enemy's doing such a number on men that even when they're Christians, they're man be pampered. I'm telling the truth. I thank God for those men who... Every man who's attending here is an exception. <laughs> Guess I had to say that, right? But uh, listen, there's way too many men who are so busy in their jobs that they really have no spiritual impact on their family or on the church or in the kingdom. But this involves a hardship. It involves some suffering. It involves spending some time. It involves an intercession. It involves some sacrifice. It involves some financial sacrifice. It involves some time sacrifice. And so what Paul is saying is, listen, you're in the army now. You can't carry around your, your wife every, every place you go. You know, those dear, uh, our, our dear soldiers who are in the armed services, when they go out to Afghanistan or something, they have to leave their family back home most of the time. They pay a price in order to serve and help our country. It's the same way in the kingdom. They're sacrificed. So it's not like he's saying, look, you've got to stay poor, because if you stay poor, you're faithful. No, but he's saying, look, don't be an accumulator. What Paul is saying in this second section about being a good soldier and being willing to forego things for now for the sake of the kingdom, you know what? The Lord never remains in your debt. I guarantee you, if you forego or uh, uh, sort of don't accumulate right now for the sake of serving the Lord, the Lord will bless you later on in your life. He, he's, he's better than playing catch-up. He's Jehovah Jireh. But some people don't even know what sacrifice means financially. You know, it used to be the churches say, you know, you should give a tenth. And actually, we believe that we all should give more than a tenth. It's all the Lord's. But how many people actually live that way? I'll forego, let's say, a, a third 60-inch screen so that I can help this group over in Russia or something like that, you know? Hey, we're talking about serious things going on here. There's a war going on. And so Paul says, you know, Timothy, by the grace of God, you need to be strong in the grace of God. And like a soldier, here's your deal. There's one thing you want to do. You want to please your general. And that's Jesus. That's your motive. You want to please Jesus. So don't get entangled with the world in such a way that Jesus says, okay, follow me. And I say, well, I can't. See, I'm too rich. So then Jesus says, okay, go sell everything you have and come follow me. Because the deal is, come follow me. So if we're all following him and we've got this huge wagon and you know, we've got our uh, car on top of it and uh, you know, our clothes, and of course every sister here in this place right now has at least 100 pairs of shoes... You know, I, I, I'm afraid that Christians don't have a very good testimony about this thing. Of living simply. To have enough and to be content. These are almost unknown words in the kingdom of God. But if you want to get to know the Lord better, 
you'll find out how wonderful it is not to be so encumbered with stuff. I know one man who'd done quite well in his job and his life and his investments and everything, and so he retired relatively early. And you know what? He found that day by day he was so busy looking at the stock market and Wall Street and where he was and how his things were doing that he finally went to his advisor and he said, look, I want you to put everything in tax-free bonds and just close up the thing. 15-year, 20-year, 30-year bonds. I don't want to see this thing anymore. I've spent all my time worrying about the market going up and down. What good are you if you've got a lot of stuff and you're worrying about it all the time? You know, if you've got nothing, you're not worrying about too much. Just, gee, i got a leak in the ceiling. You know? <laughs> kind of immediate stuff. Well, dear brothers, sisters, I don't know what the future will hold for you. I hope the market goes over 20000 and everything is cool and you become a famous banker uh, and all of that. But all I'm saying is, that's not your guarantee. Here's your guarantee. You've got a general who says, fight hard. Fight the good fight of faith. Keep your faith in a good conscience. Serve me. Pray in my name. Pray kingdom prayers. Do part of as you as a part of the army. You know, we're just in an army. It's not like you have to do anything extraordinary, except you have to show up. You know, they had a thing in the army when you were in the army. If you were smart, you lived, in the, you were in the army long enough. You knew when it came time to volunteer how to vanish. There you are standing in the line. See, there's ten guys standing across the line. Attention! Whoop! Whoop! And then the sergeant, the sergeant's looking around for somebody to peel potatoes for today. And he looks around me strangely. He comes down. He looks sure when he can't see him. It's something like a fog over Sherwin. So he can't even see Sherwin. And so he picks Melody. And you can always tell a new recruit because they stick out. You, you ask anybody who's in the service. You learn how to kind of collapse into the, into the line where they can't actually see. Who is that over there? You hide. There's a lot of Christians like that. Are you in the army? Yeah, I'm in the army. What are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm making my bunk. No, you're supposed to be out. My maneuvers. Well, you know, I'm setting up the, the maneuver thing. Army. Does it take the cross? Absolutely. Do you get to know more about Jesus, your King, as you see His authority expressed by the grace of God through your life? Oh, yeah. One of the great needs today in the church is men and women with authority, spiritual authority, that they've learned by the grace of God in the battle of the throne of the King. All right. And then the third one, uh, verse 5. The, uh, the uh, discipline of the athlete... And also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Now, here we have an athlete. And this athlete is known for his uh, self-discipline. I think they actually say that this Greek word here maybe means a wrestler. But if you're a wrestler, I don't know, how many of you guys ever wrestled, wrestled in school? Okay. If you wrestle in school, I, I guarantee you, I, I mean, I was a football player. So I thought I was in shape and everything. Then in the wintertime, we had to do a segment of wrestling, you know. And, of course, they, they always put these big sumo guys against me, you know. Uh, I tell you, wrestling is the most tiring sport I have ever been in in my life. You're under constant pressure, constantly your muscles look like that. Then, then they say, okay, that was one minute. Let's take a break. Say, what, one minute? That was one hour. Now, anybody, I, you know what? The most amazing to me, the most amazing sport right now, when it comes to self-discipline and the levels people come to, to me, is tennis. When I watch these guys like Djokovic and Nadal, and, and even some of those women, their, their endurance, their self-discipline, the limits of their body, it's amazing. The volleys and the matches they're playing these days. I mean, I grew up in the days of McEnroe and these guys. A bunch of, you know, it's a joke. These people are huge, mighty serves into the net, soft shots, hard shots, bam, and bing, bang, boom, one side to the other, back and forth. And they go on and do this for five sets. It's unbelievable. And, of course, these people in the Olympics. You know that guy, who, who, who's the famous guy with the, the swimmer? Phelps. Now Phelps has taken up golf, so on the Golf Channel, which I watch. 
Uh, he's now taking up golf with the greatest golf teacher in the world, and this golf teacher's teaching him. He started from zero. It's called the Haney Project. This guy, teacher named Haney. And he's teaching Phelps. You know, Phelps has had like ten lessons. He already plays golf better than me. I'm really depressed. <laughs> but whatever he does, he's so disciplined in it. He listens, disciplined. He, he knows the whole thing. Okay, now listen. This is talking about your personal life. And I just want to say something. You are a disciple. That means you need to know discipline in your life. Now, I'm not talking about self-discipline generated by some strong-willed people. I know there's some who are pretty strong-willed and you've got a lot of self-discipline. I'm talking about grace-disciplined people. Paul tells Timothy, be disciplined for the sake of godliness. Paul tells Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, because he can rightly divide the word of truth. Now here's somebody who spent time studying the scripture, writing their own notes, looking up a Greek word here and there, studying, nailing it down, seeing what somebody said and somebody else said. They are learning and studying the word. That takes discipline. But in your personal life, the Lord says, you are my disciple. And the Lord takes everybody through a different kind of discipline. But there's always discipline in a grace-filled life. Always discipline. And this is, again, something where we need to take the cross on our self-absorbed, self-pampering ways. You see, actually, the fact of the matter is, we're quite disciplined in other areas that interest us. You get on your job or you're taking a major that you like at school and suddenly, you know, you're in the, you're in the lab for 25 hours. And then you go home, you open your Bible, three verses. <laughs> now, I frankly think, as a minimal discipline, just in, in terms of studying the Word, I think you should be reading three chapters of the Bible a day. That way you can finish up the Bible in about a year. That's once a year. But you know what that means? 20 years as a Christian? You'll really get to know the Bible, right? No. You'll really get to know Jesus in the Bible. Because when you respond to the grace received by going back to Him and say, Yes, Lord, then you begin to learn Him. So you see, when we come and receive grace, it's like when Jesus says, Come to me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Praise God. There's grace. Free. You receive it. That's it. Then He said... Oh, you want to grow in grace. You want to get to know me. Okay. Now, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly, and you shall find rest for your souls. Now, you get to know Jesus when you're in the yoke with him, learning from him, being disciplined by him. And so, I mean, we could spend the whole rest of the time looking in First and Second Timothy at all the ways that Paul tells Timothy to be disciplined. You being exact, well, let's look at one thing just because it's here in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. Um, verse 20. Here's a typical exhortation, but it has to do with this matter of, of your personal discipline, Timothy. Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but there's also vessels of wood and earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if a man cleanses himself from these things, he'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified. Useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce only quarrels. And then he goes on talking. But listen, here's what he's saying. Timothy, Timothy, you've got a discipline in your life unto godliness. I know everybody in this room tonight who really loves the Lord. You want to be a useful vessel to the Lord. One of those gold and silver, precious vessels that the Lord can say, you are useful to me. You're, as the Old Testament, as the King James says, meet for the Master's use. How wonderful that would be to be the Lord's helpmate, to really be useful. You know what? As you, by the grace of God, and you learn discipline by the grace of God, I don't actually think it comes naturally. I think you have to embrace the cross on this thing. Say, okay, Lord, I want to learn your discipline. Because otherwise, we make a promise to God we're going to get up at 4 o'clock every morning and read the Bible, and after two weeks, you, you failed. But now the Lord, by His grace, can teach you and bring you into a discipline of study and of prayer 
and a pursuit, as he's talking here, that will make you useful to the Master and full of grace. So I mentioned this uh, last night, that Stephen was the one guy in the Bible besides Jesus who was said to be full of grace and power. Now, back in those days in the book of Acts, wouldn't you say all the Christians were full of grace and power? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They all knew the grace of God. But no, Stephen in a special way was full of grace and power. He was expressing Christ in his life. There was obviously some discipline in him because when they picked those seven men among whom Stephen was, they said, a man of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Now, you don't have wisdom if you've never thought about things, never prayed about them, never studied the Word. But Stephen, in however long he'd been a Christian, and I guess it was like four or five years, had become a man of good character, filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And they put him in this job of helping out the Greek-speaking widows. But he was so much more, because the next verse says, and he was full of grace and power. Are you full of grace and power? It has so much to do with your personal disciplines under godliness. And I would come to the Lord if I were you, and if you really felt like you really fall behind in this, and you're just a lazy bum. You should just tell the Lord, Lord, I'm a lazy bum. And I'm useless. But I want you to make me useful. And he will begin to teach you some way, and teach you some discipline in this area, then in that area, and then in that area. I mean, it takes a while to make a man of God, a woman of God, to be disciplined on the godliness. I mean, for Paul to even say that, I means you can't be godly like that. But I find that those who become useful to the Lord personally are those who usually study their Bible and pray and taken down notes and begun to understand the wisdom of God as he dealt with their own lives. They're not always saying, oh, why me, Lord? Why is this happening? Oh, I don't understand. But they ask the Lord. They find answers. They pray. They get somewhere. And these people become useful because they can be used in the body of Christ to help other people. Now, you're there. Don't say you can't do it. You see, grace believes that you have already that which is necessary and you begin to use it. You take advantage of the grace of God. And by the grace of God, learn these things. All right. Because it says, you know, unless you go by the rules, there's no reward. There's no shortcut to discipline unto godliness. But if you want the crown, you've got to follow the rules. You've got to run that race. All of these things. Okay. And then the last one. Uh, that uh, faith of a farmer, as he goes on and says in verse 6 there of chapter 2, the hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive the share of the crops. Now here we're talking about an individual matter again, like this matter of godliness, but it talks about the farmer, and I don't know if you've known farmers in your day, but actually I was, when I was going to a seminary, I was a pastor of, in an uh, agricultural community, and I, everybody in the church I was in were farmers. And the farmers have a certain characteristic that's quite unique. And you know what it is? Endurance. They plug on. They planted a crop and the drought came and they lost the whole crop. The next spring they're out and they're digging and they're planting again. And the next year the locusts come. And the next year they come out and they plant and they, they have a faith that keeps planting seed. Keep planting seed. And Paul says, now, Timothy, here's how to strengthen yourself in the grace of God. You've been given some seed, some precious things. Now, in this world, you need to plant seed with faith. Because notice what he says in verse 6. The hardworking farmer expects to receive his share of the crops. You know what? I don't know if you've ever eaten at a farmer's house. But every once in a while, the farmers would take Julia and me and our kids around. And we go eat in their houses on Sunday after the, the service. And when we went there, man, nobody had a better table of food than farmers. Because you know what? When they sent the cows off to the market, they kept the best cow. And I was eating Moo Moo the cow. He was the best. <laughs> or the best pig. When they sent the pigs off the market, they had the big old sow. They kept, oh, man, that's the best ham you got. They kept the best eggs. Kept the first, the first of the crop. This is the farmer's reward, you see. But the farmer's planting, faithfully planting seed, faithfully planting seed because he believes the Lord is going to bless him. Grow not weary in well-doing, and in due season you shall reap if you faint not. 
The farmer doesn't faint. He keeps on going. And this is another discipline that we learn of the greatness of the grace of God. It isn't just for a short time. But throughout your life, you need to keep sowing seed. Now, even in this matter of the gospel, you know, the Bible tells us to sow the gospel seed. It's like the parable of the sower. How would you like to be that sower? And you throw out all that seed, and three-quarters of the seed ends up being no fruit. Seems like a waste, right? Because 25% of it fell on the, on the path. Birds ate it up. 25% fell on rocky soil, and then the sun came out, and that died. And then 25% fell in the, in the thorny thing, and it grew up. But then they were so care, cared with the world that it didn't produce anything. But then there was the good ground. But the good ground produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. So just be faithful. Brothers and sisters, you are in the mission field of your life right now. In school, on your job, you are in the place of sowing seed. And that sowing seed, according to the Bible, is not just sowing the gospel, but sowing good works. Doing good works. Doing those things that the Lord says for you to do. Loving that person. Providing meals for somebody who's sick. Helping us pray for this person who's going through something. This, this is part of our life. As a farmer who believes the Lord will bless us if we will continue to be faithful. And so the farmer keeps on keeping on. And he believes that he may water or he may plant, but God gives the increase. By the grace of God, we know that. Now, these are just simple illustrations. But what their illustrations are is this. If we really are serious about this grace of God, and you know how much he's loved you and how much you've received of his grace. I've heard many prayers here uh, all day long today and uh, talking about how much we've received of him and how unfaithful we've been. All right, now, you said that once, that's good. Now, from here on out, don't keep saying we've received so much and we're such a bunch of slugs and we're no good and stoopnagels and we don't know why he even put up with us. Because I don't know why he put up with us, but he did. You said that once. That's it. Now say, Lord, you've given me so much, I've been so blessed. How can I distribute these riches? In the church, for the kingdom of God, how can I translate your grace into personal discipline in my life that proves fruitful? How can I plant seed? Now our prayer should be, thank you, Lord, for all I've received. Now I step up to be a giver. By the grace of God, I want to pass on the things that I've learned. How can I do it, Lord? Who can I do it with? Maybe there's somebody, a schoolmate of yours, and you know they need some spiritual help. And you could be the one to pass it on. But you know, it's uncomfortable. You've got to take the cross to, to get out of your comfort zone to talk to somebody about their spiritual life. And you're also breaking into their personal zone. And that takes the cross. But if you do it, and they're receptive, and you find a real spiritual soulmate... And you find you're able to help somebody along the way. You know what that does? You learn Jesus more and it helps you in your own life. When you help somebody else, it always comes back in helping you. Because that's what the grace of God does when it flows through your life. The love of God is shed abroad through your heart to other people. And if you'll do that, you'll find that we don't always stand there at that corner saying, we've received everything, we've given nothing. Now we can say, Lord, I've received everything. Now we don't say, I've given nothing. Say, how, Lord, can I pass these riches along? I hope, brothers and sisters, that you've heard enough teaching and preaching regarding the beauty of the body of Christ and how every one of you is a functioning member of that body, a joint of supply to give and to edify the body of Christ. I hope you've heard that teaching long enough to where you believe it. Now here's the deal. It's time for you to be a joint of supply. Don't hide behind the, the some kind of, well, I'm no good. and oh, I don't, Forget all that stuff. At the present place you're in, if you're willing to follow the Lord, He will make you a joint to supply in some wonderful way. Because that's how His grace works. So, there I was, 19 years old, I wasn't saved. And then some people began to witness to me. And uh, all the people who happened to be witnessing to me in the particular situation I was in, none of them had been to college. And, of course, I was going to college, and I fancied myself an intellectual. 
So I would mock them and kid them about the Bible and how the Bible was just an old black book. And, you know. But you know what? They just kept loving me. They kept witnessing to me. And they broke down the barriers of my life by the love of Christ that they showed me by continually planting seeds. Every time they could plant a little seed, boop, they planted another seed. And after a year, I got saved. Now the same thing happened to my dad. And he was a psychiatrist. who had never been a Christian until he was 49 years old. He got saved. Somebody shared the gospel with him. Shared it again. First he said, no. Then he heard it again. Heard it again. Heard it again. Then he got saved. My mother was an opera singer one time at the Met. She got saved. My brother's a violinist. He used to be in the New Orleans Philharmonic. He got saved. And my sister got saved. That's my whole family. And all I did was plant seeds. And the Lord did the rest. And even if they mocked me, laughed at me, asked questions, or whatever, it doesn't make any difference. Once you planted the seed, God can do some work. Are you willing to be such a person? Are you willing to bear the cross and be faithful? That's what it means to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He has given us so much. Now take hold of that grace and ask the Lord that by the grace of God you might be useful to Him. So Paul could say, by the grace of God I am what I am. And that grace did not prove in vain, but I was an apostle even more than the others. But not I, but the grace of God in me. Are you ready for that step? You ready for that crossover? You ready to do that kind of business with God? I think we should pray. We're so thankful, Lord, for your grace. We acknowledge we're not worthy. And we are especially blessed to hear our brother Lucio just sharing how much you love us and have come down to meet us. There can be no denying. But Lord, there comes a moment in our lives where we need to cross over the excuse-making and all the things that just keep us receiving and not being those who are pouring out. And we pray, Lord, at this moment that you'd fill us with the Holy Spirit. Give us your holy and noble calling and help us to be the body of Christ, soldiers for you, members of indiscipline as disciples, and as farmers who keep planting the seed. Now, Lord, we want to be productive and useful, vessels fit for the Master's use. And we pray that you'll take this moment as a moment of turning point in our lives to bring us to the place where we're willing to say, Lord, your grace is sufficient. By your grace, I would be your love slave. Now, as we're praying, I'm not going to ask anybody to stand up tonight, but I'm just going to ask you, for your own sake, as we're praying, if you've got your eyes closed, that those of you who really feel that you know the grace of God in your life and you're so thankful, but now you want to be a vessel, useful to the Master, and you are willing to say, I believe the grace of God is upon me, and I want to be one who uh, gives grace back to the Lord and to others. Now this means that you've got to get out of your neutral zone in the worship meeting where you live. You can't just sit back and let the adults uh, uh, offer prayer. It means you're going to have to join in. You've got part in that whole deal there. You're a vital link. Are you willing to step up and do what the Lord tells you? In the army, you're willing to pray and get together with others and pray? It's not just something you do on your own, you know. Two or three agree. The Lord will do it. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to be serious about this? Or is this just another moment where we realize He loves us? Can we say, by the grace of God, we love you back, Lord? By the grace of God, we're your bondservants, Lord. By the grace of God, we want to live full and be who we really are. Let your life flow through us. Learn about Jesus, even as we pour out that which we freely receive. If you're such a person, I'd just like you to raise a hand right now as a testimony before the Lord that you're in that kind of position. You're a Christian who's mature enough to realize that now it's time to be a joint of supply, a member of the body, a soldier in the army, a person under discipline. Lord, we're so thankful for people whose hands are raised. Now, Lord, you know their hearts, and I pray you take that grace of God by the Holy Spirit right from their hand and run it right down through their body and their heart. Fill them with the Holy Spirit, with a sense of your holy presence, and help them to stand upon their feet by the grace of God to be who you want them to be. Even if there's some unfinished business here this weekend where they've got some friend here they haven't talked to, they need to talk to, 
There's some dealing they need to do, get some sin out of their lives, that they'll do it. Lord, we don't want anything standing in the way, not our flesh, not sin, no nothing. We want to fight the good fight of faith, keeping faith in a good conscience. Be faithful to you. So you'll say to us one day, good job, well done. Good and faithful servant. Even though we've only given, been given a little. Oh Lord, we want to be faithful to that which you've given us. Now help everyone here. These who have raised their hand, you can put your hand down now. The, Lord, the Lord's seen every one of you. And those of you who can't raise your hand, I hope you're being honest and you can't. And I hope the Lord will deal with you until you can. And some of you younger ones who are really young, I know you have to receive enough grace to come to this point. May the Lord help you and keep receiving his approaches and keep receiving his love and his care and his forgiveness, his acceptance. It's a wonderful thing, Lord. If in this day this mighty army here of young people standing right here could stand up for the kingdom of God in the midst of all of the mess, even as in Timothy's day, when everything was messed up and Rome was persecuting and the whole thing, the church just busted out. Many, many people got saved because these saints were willing to be what you wanted them to be. And so Timothy was faithful to you, even unto death. And we pray that these dear ones who are here who really love you, Lord, give them an outlet for grace. Give them an outlet for discipline. Give them an outlet for kingdom work. How we thank you, Lord, that perhaps in this day, if you tarry in your return, that we could see a great outpouring and recovery and revival in the church, your work in the kingdom of God, even by young people willing to be servants of God. Oh, do lift up the level of our worship times as we gather together as people express their hearts in love for Jesus, and as we are joined together as one in the body of Christ with the adults that we meet with, not ashamed, not afraid, by the grace of God, stirred up with the gifts of the Spirit to be faithful to you. Thank you for these dear saints. Bless them, Lord, with the abundance of your grace. In Jesus' precious name, amen.